0: Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're joining us again. I'm continuing our series called God is Working. And sometimes that's hard to believe. If you look around the country today, America, especially if you're older, you're probably thinking, I can't remember a time when it's been this bad. And if I was to ask you to list off all the horrible things that are happening in our country, how long would that list be for you? Well, Habakkuk knows what that's like. In his time his city, Jerusalem, his nation, Judah, was wicked. And he's asking God why the Lord is allowing this evil to go on. And then the Lord says, don't worry, I'm bringing the Babylonians, and they're going to deal with that evil. And then Habakkuk says, oh no, they're, they're worse, don't do that, that's too much. And Habakkuk's disoriented. He doesn't know how to read his times. He doesn't know what God is doing, where things are headed, and it's making him anxious and angry. And maybe you feel like that. Christians all over the country don't know what times we're in. They don't know what God is doing. They don't know how God interacts with history or where things are headed. And that makes us anxious and angry. And so we turn to prophets on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Fox News, MSNBC. And these people, without any reference to the Lord, without any reference to the scriptures, in total unbelief, in their own wisdom, they tell us what's going on, why it's happening, and where things are headed. They give us their prophecies. But the problem with their prophecies is they leave us anxious and angry and afraid and alone. This is demonic. This is what the enemy wants to do in me. He wants me to be angry. He wants me to be discouraged. He wants me to be alone. He wants me to be afraid. And that's exactly how I felt, I felt, in 2020. When COVID happened and the lockdowns happened and all the overreach and power grabs happened, when the injustice and in... in, inconsistent applications of the laws were happening, when this woke nonsense was getting stuffed down our throats, and a whole bunch of other things. When that was happening, I was angry. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. And there wasn't anything I do about it. And I went on a walk, actually lots of walks, and I just, I told God everything I was feeling. I interrogated God. I asked Him questions. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? What, how am I supposed to respond to this? And Over the next several months, as I was praying, asking God, reading his word, and studying his word diligently, God encouraged me. God straightened me out. God actually filled me with joy and hope. I started to relax, and today, I have never been more optimistic and confident about our future in history, despite all the things that are happening in the short term. I've never been more sure of God's plan and what he's doing, that we're going to win I've never been more resolved to build his kingdom. And honestly, stable. Stable. I'd say that's what God did. He stabilized me. He did it by by his word. He did it because I asked. And I kept seeking him. And our pastor, Randy, he did the same thing. And this, this series out of Habakkuk is actually coming out of what God said to him. And God will do this for you. He did it for Habakkuk. Because when you read Habakkuk, what you find is Habakkuk in chapter 3 is not the same guy as he was in chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 1 and 2, he's anxious, he's angry, he's afraid, he's asking God. But in chapter 3, he's singing. Chapter 3 is a, a song. Something happened. What happened? What happened was God straightened him out. And God will do that for you as well. He'll stabilize you, fill you with joy, make you relax, and give you hope for the future. And so this message today... It's all about God's work in history, who he is, how he runs time, how he runs history, all the good things about how God works in our time so that we can chill out and understand that God is in control and his timing is perfect. So let's go ahead and take a look at Habakkuk 1:12 through uh, 14. I'm going to read a, a passage between chapter 1 and 2, and then we're going to pull out of that passage some of the encouraging things that Habakkuk learned about the Lord. Here it is, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My holy one, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Why are you doing this? You can't look upon these wicked people chewing up your people. This is the problem. Habakkuk is actually making a mistake. He has a misunderstanding of who God is. He says, God, you're too pure to tolerate evil. Actually, God can tolerate quite a bit. Habakkuk's theology is off. And because he's misunderstanding something about who God is, he has expectations of God that are not realistic. And then he's disappointed when God doesn't do what he wants. And then he's discouraged and frustrated. And this is how our enemy gets us into unbelief and into trouble. God can actually tolerate quite a bit Habakkuk. If you think about it, if every person on the planet sinned once a day, just one time a day, and we sin more than that, that would be seven billion sins a day against God. Now, God is the eyewitness to every crime, to every sin, because everything is done as before him. He sees all things. He knows all things. He knows our motives, whether it was first, second or third degree murder. He knows everything and he's the judge. He's the jury. He's the executioner, which means he has everything he needs to wrap up this case. The moment that we sin, God would be totally justified in pouring out his judgment upon us. And this planet, this mankind, this human race, we sin far more than seven billion times a day against him. So why doesn't God take us out? Clearly, Habakkuk is not right. God can tolerate quite a bit. And I don't want my understanding of history or God or myself or my times, I don't want my understanding to be off because if it is off, I'm going to be disappointed, discouraged, angry, and I'm going to be easily led into unbelief. And that's when I get into real trouble. So Habakkuk continues. He says, You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler." The Chaldeans, they pull them up with a hook. They catch them in their dragnet. They gather them in their fishing nets. That's why they're so glad and rejoiced. These guys are like fishermen who bring in a huge haul of fish. They're bringing in a huge haul of nations. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing nets. These people worship their nets. You're really going to use these people to punish us? For by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their nets and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Are you just going to let them go on and on, Lord? I know what I'll do. I'll stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. I want God to answer me. I want God to tell me what I should be telling people who are asking me these questions. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets. So that one may easily read it. I want everybody to know this. I want you to put it up on the walls. I want it on the billboards. I want it on social media. I want it on the news. I want everybody to hear what I'm about to do. For the vision, this oracle, this thing I just told you that Babylon's going to do to you is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Oh, they're coming and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. Though it delays, wait for it. Since it will certainly come and not be late. Don't listen to those prophets who chirp, who tell you that God would never let his holy city be defeated by these pagans. It will come. It will happen. Look, his ego is inflated. Speaking of the Babylonians, this is still the Lord speaking. Look, his ego is inflated. He who is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by faith. Woe to him. Now this is curses on Babylon. This is what's coming to Babylon after Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You, Babylon, have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not for the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire? And countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, in this portion of Scripture, we can pull out a whole bunch of truths about God, history, time, ourselves, what's going on in our world. That will comfort us, stabilize us, and help us to walk by faith and live. So, here are the truths. First of all, God's timing is perfect. And His his timing is perfect because He's the Lord of history. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of history. The Lord is the writer of history. The Lord is the director of history. The Lord is the star of history. And because these things are so, there's a certain way for us to respond faithfully. So first, the Lord is the writer of history. Habakkuk says, Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Who appoints? Who destines in a story? the writer. Who appoints, who destines in history, all that comes to pass? The Lord. History is his story. And since it's his story, the Lord chooses the setting, he chooses the characters, and he chooses the genre of the story of history. First, the settings. God wanted you, your children and your children's children, to live here, Now, and he made you, you listening to this, he made you for this setting, this time, this section of history, this section of the story. Don't look back on the past and say, boy, I wish it was like the 80s. Remember when we used to have plastic straws? Remember when we didn't have to pay for plastic bags? Remember back in the day when you could like say what you think without being fired? Don't do that. Because you're living in the time and place that God wants you to live. And he wants you to respond to the the setting that you're in faithfully. What if you were an Israelite in Egypt, in slavery, knowing that your father Abraham was this wealthy man, and now you're in slavery in Egypt, before Moses, before the Exodus, And you said to yourself, why am I here? The answer is, because God chose that setting for you. The Lord told Abraham 400 years before the Israelites were saved from Egyptian slavery. He said, this is where I'm going to send your people. I've chosen a setting for them for the next part of the story. For the next chapter, when I deliver Israel out of Egypt, I want them in this place. In this condition, this is what I've decided for them. And he tells Abraham this 400 years before it happens. Genesis. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. How did they find themselves in that setting? Because the Lord is the writer of history. He also chooses the characters. You are not an accident. He made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. When directors want a certain look or character, they have a casting call. And the waiting rooms are full of redheads or six-foot-three basketball players or some other look to get the right look for the character that they want on the screen. God doesn't have a casting call. God just creates his cast, and every single person was knitted together in their mother's womb precisely as the Lord wanted. Whether they're strong or weak, tall or short, whether in their life they're rich or poor, deaf, mute, or blind. These are characteristics that the writer of history chose. There are no accidents. And so the In Exodus, the Lord says to Moses, Who placed a mouth on a human? Who makes a person mute, deaf, seeing, or blind? Is it not I? Are you the chance accident of nature? Does evolution explain you? No. It's not from the goo through the zoo to you. But you were designed by God on purpose. You're exactly how he wanted you to be. And he's placed you in the exact part of the story in the right setting for you to play your, your role well. And God not only creates the characters and their features, but he also chooses when those characters come into this story. He's already decided that. For example, one of the greatest kings of all time was the king of Persia, Cyrus. And he's the one who allowed Israel to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And 200 years before Cyrus was even born, the Lord said that he was going to be bringing that character onto the screen into the scene, onto the story, through the prophet Isaiah. 200 years before Cyrus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to his chosen, to his specially selected character, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before the gates may not be closed, He will be my instrument that I will use. Now, who decided that this character would come onto the story? Did Cyrus decide? No. The Lord decided this. Long before he created the world, this was a character that he decided he would bring about. And he let us know 200 years before it happened. He also decides which nations come onto the scene. We've already seen in Habakkuk that it says... For behold, I, the Lord, am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Who decided that the Chaldeans would be raised up? Who decided that Genghis Khan would be raised up? Who decided that Vladimir Putin would be in charge in Russia? Who decided that Joe Biden would be in the White House? Who decided that your boss would be your boss? Who decided it is the Lord, who is the writer of history, who writes the characters and brings them on to the stage? He's the one who decides which nation or state or city will rise or fall. God decides. He has always decided. And the question you have and I have is, well, when, Lord? When are you going to judge these wicked cities that are just full of corruption, that have injustice and two two standards of justice? When are you going to stop these predators who are twisting the minds of children and causing them to mutilate themselves? When are you going to do something about these things? And the answer is, right on time. Right on time. Right on the money. And I know this because I've looked back over the history of the human race. And I've seen God do it. For example, he said that he would destroy Jerusalem. And the false prophet said, no, he won't. And in 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed. The Lord Jesus, this, this is the Lord, the one who told Habakkuk what he was going to do. And he did it in 586. The Lord Jesus, a second time, told a different generation of Jews. He said, before this generation passes away, this temple will be destroyed. And right on the money, 70 AD, he destroyed the temple a second time. This time through the Romans, through Vespasian and Titus. They said, where is the promise of his coming? I thought he was going to come destroy the temple before this generation passes away. That's what they were saying to Peter when he wrote Second Peter. Where's the, where's the promise of his coming and his judgment on Jerusalem? And then in 70 AD, it was destroyed. So the Lord will do what he says he'll do. He raises up a character. He brings a character down. And he also chooses the genre. He doesn't just choose the setting and the characters, but also the genre. And this is really hard for us because we want this world to be a rom-com. We want this world to be a Hallmark original special. A lifetime original special. Something sweet and soft and not too scary. But that's just not the kind of story that God is telling. God, the Lord, is writing a drama. And think about it. What kind of story would it be? If in the Marvel movies, there was no really bad, there was no bad guy. There's no Thanos, right? Imagine the, the Avengers movies. If Thanos was to snap his fingers, right, and nothing happened, or he just disappeared, or they just got rid of him in the first film. No, the drama of him wiping out half of the universe in the in Avengers Infinity War, that sets up the glory of Avengers Endgame. You have this selfish, proud man, Tony Stark, who starts his arc, very proud and selfish, and he ends his life in sacrificial, uh, uh, death. He gives himself up to save the world. And that, that death is more meaningful and more, more valuable with higher stakes because of the drama of that storyline. I mean, who's gonna go see a, an Avengers movie where there's no bad guys? Nobody. It's the drama. Or what about, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Would those movies be better if there was no orcs or Sauron? Would it be better if Frodo just flew an eagle straight to Mount Doom and threw in the ring? Would that make it a better story? Would you see the courage of Aragorn? Would you see the compromise of Boromir? Would you see the fellowship of different species of of creatures joining together to fight like Legolas and Gimli? Would you see all that the, the writer wanted to display without the drama? No, you wouldn't. It'd be like walking, watching Rocky IV without Ivan Drago. What kind of movie would Rocky IV be without I- Ivan Drago? <laughs> I mean, would you just want to see Sylvester Stallone and Apollo Creed like splashing around in the ocean, like in the training montage of Rocky III? Right? Would that be a good movie? Just no fights, no death? No! When Apollo Creed, one of the most important characters in all three of the Rocky movies, dies, gets killed by this this Russian in the arms of Rocky, that creates real stakes, real drama. And that's why everybody loves Rocky IV. The greatest stories are dramas, and God loves to tell a good drama. He loves to tell a nail-biter. Right when it seems like everything is lost, when there's no hope, that's when God turns it all around. So Joseph goes down to uh, uh, down into a pit where he's going to be sold into slavery, and then down into an Egyptian slave auction, and then down into the house of Potiphar, and then down into the Egyptian prison, and right When it seems like he couldn't get any lower, boom, he's the prince of Egypt. The Israelites are led out of Egypt to the Red Sea. and Right about the moment, it looks like they're going to be wiped out by the armies of Pharaoh. God parts the water, and he destroys Pharaoh and his army. Just when it seems like there's no hope for Daniel, he's thrown in the lion's den, and they're covering it with a rock. God protects him. The next day, all of his enemies are thrown into the lion's den, and Israel is delivered. Just when it looks like the forces of evil have defeated the Lord Jesus Christ, who they crucified and buried, on the third day he rose again. God loves to tell nail biters. He loves to tell dramas. And you are in the middle of the story. So if you're upset because the orcs are overri- overrunning Tirith, right? Wait. Keep fighting. Keep believing. Because the story ends well. But you have to recognize you're in the middle of the story. Right, The hard things we're facing are preludes for the good things to come because God is telling a drama. And he's the Lord of history. He's the writer, so he gets to decide. Number two, the Lord is the director of history. Who decides if the film is going to stay within its runtime? Who directs and corrects, hires and fires actors? Who decides which scenes are going to be cut or saved? The director. And the Lord Jesus is the director of history. He judges. He cuts, and he saves. Again, Habakkuk 2, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Everything goes exactly according to the director's plan. When the audience is sitting in the theater watching the film, and things happen as they do, they're going according to the director's plan. He's the one who's judged how the scenes will fit together. And in the same way, God is the one who's written the story and is directing the story so that it comes out the way he wants. He judges his holy nations, and he judges Gentile nations. We've already seen how he's judging Jerusalem, and we see him also promising to judge Babylon. In Habakkuk 2.16, the Lord says to Babylon, In the future, after you've come to destroy Jerusalem, the cup of the Lord's right hand, the cup of judgment, will come around to you. Your day's coming, the Lord says. And he not only judges nations, but he also cuts off nations, cuts off cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, cuts off people like Ahab and Jezebel. If you're not familiar with Ahab and Jezebel, you can read about them in 2 Kings 19, 20 and 21. But Ahab was one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel's history, and his wife was even worse. And they led Israel astray to worship after false idols and gods. And God was very angry with them. And he sent his prophets so that they would repent. But then Ahab and Jezebel murdered this man named Naboth to take his property. And that was it. God was done. So he sent his prophets and said, I'm going to wipe you and your whole line out of this story. I'm going to cut you out. Next season, you're not going to be here. <laughs> I'm going to replace you with a dog. And so God raised up a man named Jehu. And Jehu killed Jezebel. He killed her kids. killed her grandkids. And one by one, all the descendants of Ahab were wiped out by the Lord, a righteous judgment for the wickedness of his house. God cuts out of the story those he wants. He did this with Eli, the priest, and his sons. He cut them out of the story. And God can do this with anyone, and he has done it, and he will continue to do it. So you need to be patient and wait. If there's a wicked person in this world that's doing evil things, pray that God would remove them. That either he would remove them from the the side of evil by converting them and saving them the way that he saved you. Or that he would remove them through justice. That he would cut them out of the story. Because he is the one who does it, not us. And he's also the one who saves. And he saves some of the most unlikely people. I mean, God saves the villains. He saved Nebuchadnezzar, the king that destroyed Jerusalem. God actually does a work in his life, and he ends up praising God publicly. He issues a royal decree so everyone will worship the God of Daniel. And then the next king, Darius, does the same thing. After the lion's den situation, that king, Darius, issues an edict that says, the God of Daniel is the one true God. He saves Assyria by sending Jonah, who doesn't want to go. And that whole city repents and is saved God saves the most interesting people, the most interesting characters. And you just don't know who God is going to save. And so you have to have an open hand. You can't be a conservative or a progressive and decide that this person's bad or this person's good because they don't line up with your politics. You have to be a Christian and recognize that God saved Saul, who murdered Christians. God saved Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Simon the Zealot, who wanted to kill tax collectors, and he made them hang out together every night. God saved Noah. He saved Lot. He saved Israel at the Red Sea. And God will save you. No matter how bad our circumstances are, no matter how bad the story gets, God knows how to save His people. But here is the meaning of the phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. You find that in Habakkuk 2 4, but the righteous one will live by faith. This is an incredibly important verse, and it's often misunderstood. What this means is, Your faith will save you. You will stay alive if you keep trusting God. And that's what you see happening throughout the Bible. When Habakkuk says this, he's looking back over the history of his people. Wow, Lot, your timing was so great. How did you get out of Sodom and Gomorrah? How did you live? By faith. God told me to get out and I got out. But my wife, she looked back and she died. My sons-in-law, they didn't believe me and they died. But all those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they're gone. Wow, Noah, your timing is so great. How did you avoid the worldwide flood and survive? Because I believed God. I walked by faith. The righteous will live by faith. But all those people I preached to for a 100 years didn't believe me, and they all died. Wow, Caleb and Joshua, how did you guys get to come into the promised land? But all those other Israelites are dead. Because of faith. The righteous will live by faith. They stopped believing. They said, we can't defeat the giants. We can't go into the promised land. There's no way God's going to save us. And they all died in unbelief. But Joshua and Caleb continued. Wow, Moses, why don't you get to go in the promised land? Why is your character being cut short before you get to go in the promised land? Because I got angry. I got mad at the circumstances. I didn't like that Joe Biden was president. I didn't like Angela Lee Fauci. I didn't like the CDC. I didn't like the woke stuff. And I just got mad and I smacked the rock twice. And because of my unbelief, I don't get to go to the promised land. The righteous shall live by faith. And this is very important. This is the meaning. If you give in into discouragement, if you listen to false prophets, if you give in to fear, if you run away, if you quit, if you give in to anger or bitterness like Moses, your days will be cut short. Your influence will be cut short. You may perish. This is the meaning of the warning in Hebrews chapter 3. When we say hard attitude number 3 we talk about encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, what that's referring to is those Israelites that died in the desert in unbelief. We have to keep one another believing, trusting God. And what happens is we get in crazy bad situations like we find ourselves in today, and we think that we're not safe. And we try to save ourselves by taking courses of action that are not based on God's word, and therefore not faith. We do what our neighbors are doing, or what our parents say we should do, or what we think is wise, and actually it's unbelief. And that's how we get cut short. The Lord told the, Ju- the Judean people they were going to be destroyed by Babylon. And faith that would save them would be to believe what the Lord said. And when the Babylonians came, put their hands up. In fact, the Lord told them, When the Babylonians come, put your hands up. He told them that through Jeremiah, but they didn't believe him. And the false prophets said, Oh no, no, it's not. Wait, wait, wait. Jerusalem's gonna live. And God would never let Babylon be destroyed. And the people of Jerusalem believed these false prophets, and they fought back against Babylon. And they died. But do you know who didn't die? The righteous, who lived by faith. There were some Jews who believed Jeremiah and believed Habakkuk, and they survived and didn't die. Those Jews were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel. Those Jews were Esther and Mordecai. Those Jews were Nehemiah and Ezra. How did all those Jews survive this Babylonian destruction? Because they believed Jeremiah's prophecy. They put their hands up, and the righteous live by faith. God warned them, and God saved them. So this is a really important theme that we find. God is the writer, he's the director, and as the director, he's the judge, he's the one who cuts off the characters, and he's the one who saves the characters, and he will save you and save your kids, no matter how bad it gets in America, no matter how bad it is in Ukraine, how bad it is in China. God will save his people if they walk by faith. And this brings us to our final point, which is the Lord is the star of the show. And this is is why Jesus came into the world. We know that God will save us because he wants to save us. And we know he wants to save us because he sent his son. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save it. And the Lord is the star of the show. And so at the end of our passage in Habakkuk, he says this. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Throughout history, from the beginning of history to the end, Jesus is the star. In the very beginning, when we sin in the garden, God is handing out judgment and he says to Eve, from your seed will come a snake crusher who will crush the head of Satan. And that's Jesus. Fast forward several hundred years and the Lord says to Abraham, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. The seed of blessing that will come into this world through Abraham is Jesus. Go forward another Several hundred years. And in a prophecy belong that wicked prophet that God kept putting blessings into his mouth. He said, I see off in the distance a man, a scepter from the tribe of Judah, that this man is going to rule the nations. That's the Lord Jesus. And then if you keep going in the scriptures, it says uh, Moses told the Israelites that there would be a prophet that would come that's greater than him and they should listen to him. That's the Lord Jesus. Then David was told that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever and be an everlasting dominion. And that's the Lord Jesus. Through Isaiah and Jeremiah, you find out that this coming Messiah, this king, this central figure in all of history is going to rule the nations. He's going to suffer and die for their sins. And then in the first century, the Lord Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is the star of the whole movie. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And this story that is God is telling human history, it's all about the king who kills the dragon and gets the girl, who kills and crushes Satan and saves his bride, the church who dies for our sins, washes us, is resurrected, and now rules and reigns over heaven and earth. And what he's doing now is what it says in that verse. He is filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the last 2,000 years, the church, which proclaims the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, is spreading around the globe, and nobody can stop it. And so, seeing that Christ is the star of the show, and that he has conquered sin, Satan, and death, which is the worst, should give us confidence that no matter where he's placed us in the story, no matter which setting or which character we are, if we will walk by faith, then we will be a part of what he's doing, which is spreading the knowledge of the Lord across the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so now we have to respond to these truths. Let's respond in faith to the Lord of history. Number one, don't direct the Lord. Interrogate him backhook makes a mistake. In the first chapter, he says, God, you're not doing enough. In the second chapter, he says, God, you're doing too much. It's not our place to direct God. We don't know what would be best anyway. We don't have all the facts. We can't judge. But What we can do is ask God questions. We can interrogate, which means to systematically ask questions to understand. And we should do that. If we don't like what's going on, if we don't understand what's going on, we should ask God to explain it to us. But here's the thing. We need to be still before the Lord. That's what it says at the very last verse of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silent before him. And this is what Habakkuk did. He asked God his questions and asked God his questions, and then he was silent in prayer before the Lord, thinking about who God is and what God had said. And as he thought about it and as he understood, it stabilized His heart. It filled him with joy. It gave him hope. And in chapter three, he's not the same man. In chapter three, he's singing. And that's what we want. When we look at these horrible circumstances, whenever they may be, and we come before the Lord and we bring them before Him in question and we read His Word and we listen, He can transform us too. But here's the question I have for you Who do you keep silent before? The verse says, Keep silent before Him. Who do you keep silent before? Sometimes I look at people with their cell phones and I notice how silent they are. Their eyes are completely focused on the screen. Their mouths are not moving. They are listening, watching, drinking in every word that Tucker Carlson or Ben Shapiro or the Young Turk or Morning Joe or whoever the TikTok influencer is. They're listening to Jordan Peterson, they're listening to their favorite preacher on a podcast, tell them what's going on, tell them what's going to happen, tell them how they should think about it, and they're silent. They're just totally watching that screen. But the Lord doesn't say to be silent and still before the screens of other men. He says to do it in front of him. It looks more like this picture. Prayer. Bowing. Asking, reading, trying to understand. So who are you giving your full attention to? Be still before the Lord. Listen to his words. Number two, remember who you are in the story. You are not the star. The Lord Jesus is the star. You're the supporting actor. You're the help. Play your role. We all want to be Frodo, the star of the story, bringing the ring to Mordor. Or maybe Sam, definitely Aragorn. I like Legolas. But the truth is, you and I are really just elf number 463. That's you. That's me. We want to be the star, but we're just not. We have a role, we have a place, and God will use it to bless us and give us glory. But... We're supporting actors, and our job is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is what saves you. Faith is what overcomes this world. The meek, you and I, the lowly, the insignificant, we will inherit the earth through our faith. And so we walk by faith. We obey what God says. We do what Lot did, which is we believe God, and we respond, and he saves us. We do what Noah did. We believe God, we respond, and he saves us. And we tell people about our Lord Jesus. We tell people that he is the King of Kings, that he's the Lord, that he'll come back and judge one day, that he's the one who washes away our sins. And as we play our parts as supporting actors to glorify the central star of the show, what God does is he begins to transform our communities. He begins to save families and cities and towns and all this, this horrible stuff that's happening. That's all downstream from worship. These people don't worship the right God, but if they worship the Lord Jesus, he'll transform them from the inside out. He can stabilize and restore this nation. But it comes as we play our role, remembering who we are in the story. Finally, remember how the story ends. It ends well. (laughs) The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. I hear people say, the church in America is dead. Really? Like Judah? Because if I was Habakkuk and I heard that the Lord said that the knowledge of his glory would cover the world as the water covers the sea, and I knew that the Babylonians were coming, I'd say, you're crazy, Lord, that's not possible. But here we are, 2,400 years after that word was given to him, and I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This world is covered with Christians, and the Christian church is exploding every day in Asia, Latin America, and Africa somewhere between 25,000 and 40,000 people each come into the kingdom of God, put their faith in Jesus Christ. Latin America is becoming Christian faster than Europe did during the Protestant Reformation. In the next 50 years, Christianity is going completely swallow up every other religion. God's kingdom is advancing. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord Jesus is covering the world as the waters covering the sea. And yes, in America, it doesn't look great, but the church grows and the, the church uh, recedes, the, the church is bright and the church is dim, kind of like the water comes in and out in the tide. And we certainly are in a period of time where it looks like the Lord is coming in judgment. But there's no reason to give up hope, because as I look back over American history, I see, I see a gracious Lord Jesus pouring out his spirit. You know, these verses, Habakkuk 2.14 and Isaiah 9.7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I mean, how is God going to do this? How is God going to cover the world with the knowledge of his glory as the water covers the sea? It says in Isaiah 9-7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How is it going to get done? God is going to get it done. And nobody can stop God. And these two verses were the favorite verses of men like Jonathan Edwards, John Knox of Scotland, William Carey, one of the great missionaries of all time, and the American Puritans. These Christians believed what God said in Habakkuk, that he would fill the world with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They believed in the success of the gospel, in the Christianization of the planet. They thought it would actually happen because they thought, who could stop Jesus? If he conquered sin, Satan, and death, who can stop Jesus? And then the question is simply, does the Lord Jesus want the nations? Does the Lord Jesus want the world to be covered with the knowledge of his glory? As the waters cover the seas? Well, of course he does. Well, if he wants it, then who can stop him? And this was the confidence of these Christians. And so they proclaimed the gospel. They went to the furthest parts of the planet. And they helped to bring about the extension of the kingdom. And I know you think, well, this is great. But dark times today, man. America's in a dark place. But it's always darkness and is before the light, before the dawn. There have been many revivals in American history. There was a revival before the Revolutionary War, preparing us for that great explosion of liberty. If not for the First Great Awakening, there would have never been a 1776. And there was another revival about 50 years later that prepared the way for the Civil War. If not for the Second Great Awakening, there would have never been an abolition of slavery. And then in the late 1800s, there was another revival which led to the cleaning up of the cities in America, which were extremely corrupt and extremely broken. That would have never happened if it wasn't for the revival in the 1890s. And then after World War II, after the nihilism and destruction of that global conflict, millions of people around the world saw their emptiness and they gave their lives to Christ in crusades like the Billy Graham crusade. And we saw the gospel explode around the country and it stabilized us as a nation. And then in the 60s with all the drugs and the sex and just the darkness of that time period, many of those people in the 70s They came to Christ. It's called the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement. And you get the political stability of the 1980s and 90s that flows downstream from the mass conversions in the 1960s and 70s. So sometimes God pours out his spirit and he pulls back the decay. And the question is, do we believe that he can do it again? And you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, but when is God going to do that? And so we go back to Habakkuk and he says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. God has said that he will cover the earth, fill it with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says he will, and he's going to do it right on time. There are things in this world that are getting worse, and there are things that are getting better. The writer, director, and star of history will fill you with hope and joy if you believe him. Habakkuk in chapter 3 is not the same Habakkuk in chapter 2. He has been silent before the Lord. He's seen who the Lord is, and now he's ready to sing. This is what happened to Pastor Randy when he read Habakkuk during the pandemic. This is what happened to me when I interrogated God and I poured out my heart to God and he pointed me to 1 Peter and he pointed me to Matthew and he pointed me to other scriptures to help me understand what he was doing. I have never been more hopeful, driven, and stable in my historical outlook. This is what God did for me, and he will do it for you too. So what's he going to do in the future? Something you wouldn't believe if he told you. When is he going to do it? Right on time. How do I know? Because these are the words of God in Habakkuk. So what do I do in the meantime? You believe him. You keep believing. You keep bringing glory to Christ. You keep walking in faith. He will keep you alive. You keep doing that. And then, like Habakkuk in chapter 3, you sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Please apply it to our hearts where we need it. Thank you that you are the Lord of history and nothing is an accident. Thank you that you are protecting us and guiding us and making sure that this story is remarkable. Lord God, we want to play our part well. We want to play our role well. We want to walk in faith and not unbelief. Protect us, protect our wives, protect our kids, protect our friends, our family, our businesses, our communities. Save us, Lord God. Save us as we walk in faith because we believe you, the righteous shall live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.